the church's music from the 20th century. The 17th century. The 11th century. The 8th century. The 4th century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org A hymn penned by the 16th century reformer Martin Luther, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Why did Luther write hymns? Why was that a big part of the Reformation for him? In addition to, well, at one point, offering forth a version of the Mass, the divine service that was hymn-based. Singing and music seemed to be very important to the Reformation, and perhaps it still is. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about missions through music with Pastor Nathan Sherrill of David's Harp. There's a new report on abortion post-Roe. Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute will join us to tell us what it says. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel will be there for that. And then Dr. Andrew Walker, Associate Professor of Christian Ethics at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, will join us to discuss Christian nationalism. The subject is missions through music. Pastor Nathan Cheryl joins us. He is pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and executive director of David's Harp. Pastor Cheryl, welcome. Thanks, Todd. How is music paired with the proclamation of God's Word in Scripture itself? Well, music's all over in the Bible, Todd. First appearing, you might say, even in Genesis in the creation account. In fact, one of our board members, Dr. Martin Dickey, he's a missionary, a music missionary in the, our Asia region. He likes to point out when he speaks on this subject, a reading from Job 38 that seems to show singing at creation when all the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So music seems to be at the beginning. And then if you think about Revelation and you know too much about St. John's vision there, the last book of the Bible, we see all kinds of singing and joy and gladness, shouting actually in Revelation. But then the center section of the Bible, if you think about it, we see music happening all the time. For example, you can remember the song of Moses after the Red Sea victory. I think the text of scripture says something like, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. We call this a biblical canticle, a biblical song or a song that's drawn from the people of God in the Bible and then recorded in the scriptures. Of course, as we continue forward in the Old Testament, we get 
pretty soon to the center section where we have this huge book of Psalms, which we often call the song book or the hymn book of the Old Testament. So the Psalms, as we know, are songs that would have been used in worship and within the life of believers in Israel. They're full of reflections on God, the Lord's activity for his people and his people's relationship to him. The Psalms are words really paired with music in order to teach of the Lord, tell of his works, point out his promises, and so on. So many people know and love, in fact, often memorize Psalms as very important texts and messages from the scriptures. But I don't know if all the time we think of them as music. So a huge musical book is there in the middle of the Bible, pairing music and the good news of the Lord. But then if you keep moving, if you try to walk through the entire scriptures with this conversation of the pairing of music and God's word, you'll come again to canticles. And especially at Advent and Christmas, we, we're kind of bumping into lots of biblical songs when we come to, for example, the song of Zechariah in the New Testament in Luke there that we call the Benedictus, the song of Mary, the Magnificat, we know that and love that song of Mary. And then a song of Simeon, we call the Nook Dimittis. All over is this music within the scriptures. And of course, you can't leave Christmas without thinking of the angels singing again. Martin Dickey would like me to reference the angels' song, Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Also, if you think of going to Sunday school as a young Lutheran kid and studying you know, sometime that text in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, what are they doing? But they're in prison in Philippi, praying and singing hymns. And then you have this wonderful account that we like to recount over and over. Paul, by the way, in the epistles, some of his epistles, he speaks of communication within the church, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So we're encouraged by the, by the apostles to be singing and connecting music with the word of God. And as I, as I said at the beginning, when you think of Revelation, you think of these te deums. There's marvelous te deums, uh, praise, uh, uh, songs of praise and thanksgiving uh, to the Lamb who is now seated on the throne. So the, in John's vision there of Revelation, it's almost like heaven is erupting in song and music that is dedicated and focused on the Lamb, so the Christ, and his work for his people. So again, from beginning to end of the scriptures, music and the text of God's word is paired all over the place. Talk about what role music played in the historic worship of the church. Well, as I mentioned in the Psalms, music was part of worship for the believer, and it was part of their everyday life. A point to make here might relate to a specific category of Psalms, like the Psalms of Ascent. These Psalms were possibly sung in corporate worship, but also sung as the Israelites made pilgrimage to Jerusalem for a given festival. For example, we might think of the Passover. I often think of this when reflecting on Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. 
My help cometh from the Lord who has made the heavens and the earth. So these Psalms of Ascent, I always think of as very personal Psalms. They were used in Old Testament worship, but then it's like the people left worship and they they took these Psalms with them. So there's, there's really kind of vivid with these Psalms of Ascent, the text that they're singing is very much connected to their everyday life. Well, skipping ahead to the New Testament church, we might remember hymns being used in worship. For example, when Jesus is gathered with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, we know this verse probably very well, but I don't know if we ever ponder it too much in relation to the music making. The texts from several gospels say, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we recognize Jesus, for example, and the disciples were regularly singing hymns together, making music together, obviously singing psalms together when they gathered. So as we think of music in the church, we can move through the early church. We recognize the early church is singing and making music as an important part of their corporate life, back to the Psalms, their corporate life and their private life. So their music for the church here is having this wonderful way of identifying scripture text and kind of making it personal, drawing it closer to the individual. And so we see this even every age after Jesus' resurrection, the song of Christ is applied to the people and in worship in different ways, in unique ways as time moves forward. How did Martin Luther regard, why did he regard music so highly? So when we get to Luther's day, Luther came to know how music was used as the scriptures were exposed to him, right? As he had opportunity to study on his own and really understand the significance of the word of the text, God's word, and the gospel coming and shining forth, Luther really grew, as we all know, in an amazing appreciation for the scriptures. Well, during and before Luther's day, though, the gospel was not clear, wasn't clear to him, it wasn't clear to the common people. And so part of the way the word wasn't clear was that the language used in worship was not the language that people were speaking on the street corner. <laughs> and if there was singing done in worship, it was primarily done by like other people, like those clergy members or, or a form of a clergy or a monastic choir. So the text of scripture was not readily available to the people. And then also the music was not necessarily readily available to the people. So this context caused the laity or the congregation to come to church and just kind of be more like spectators than as participants. It actually may have been that they had no idea what was being said. There was a great physical distance, a great cognitive distance between the priest and the congregant. And the music that was heard was more like for them, some kind of a performance or a beautification of the service than the presentation of a text to be heard and meditated upon by everyone 
gathered. So this was the context that Luther grew up in. He grew up in a situation where he was not learning. He was not learning the text of Scripture. However, when he did learn the text of Scripture, it became very natural for him to figure out how to receive those texts, not only for himself, but also to share those texts with others, share the gospel with others. So he was inspired in relation to this time by, I think, his past and then what he would come to know in the future and how he could use music to convey the text of Scripture. How did uh, Luther then reform worship to restore music to its proper place? Well, regarding the spoken or chanted word, Luther restored the liturgy. He restored readings and preaching in the common language. So people could understand what was being read. On the other hand, regarding the sung word, Luther wanted to move away from the clergy or the clerical choir and give place to the assembled congregation. While there were hymns that had been written throughout the centuries before, many of these very good hymns, these hymns weren't being used in a congregational or unified way. So Luther set about to take these hymns, or as the Germans or Scandinavians would call them, chorales, and place them into the order of service for the people to sing. These chorales would either be hymns that were already present, just sung by others, or they would be new hymns that he or others had written with specific intention. Interestingly, around 1526, just nine years after the 95 Theses, Luther had already prepared his German Mass, and this was an order of service that was largely made up of chorales, or we would just call them hymns. In fact, many of the chorales were written or modified by Luther himself. So now in the German Mass, the worshiper was suddenly actively involved as participant rather than spectator. The individual is now singing throughout the entire service with their lips the words of scriptures that they understood with their heads and their hearts. So it might remind us a little bit of the beginning of Matins there of Psalm 51 where we sing, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Well, now Luther was helping the people to be able to do that, to open their lips and declare God's praise from the very text of Scripture themselves. So what Luther was doing here was using music to make the text of Scriptures known. You'll notice he not only did this by making sure the language was able to be understood, but he did this literally by crafting music in such a way that the music would be a servant, and that word is super important at this point, that the music would serve the words or the text that was being sung and then given to the people themselves so that they could sing and buy the music likely more easily and readily memorize and maybe even enjoy. <laughs> so the people can now go forth from church, and we're thinking now like of those Psalms of Ascent, they could leave church with a song on their hearts, the text of which came right out of the Bible. 
Pastor Nathan Sherrill is our guest. We're talking about missions through music. On the other side, why did Martin Luther write hymns? Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran Confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about missions through music with Pastor Nathan Sherrill. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and executive director of David's Harp. So, Pastor Sherrill, why did Martin Luther write hymns? This is a great question, Todd. Maybe, first of all, we could say Luther wrote hymns because he could. (laughs) Not everyone can just pick up a a pen and and draft a hymn. But this tells us a little bit more about Luther. He was very knowledgeable, as we know, in law and theology, but also in music. Now, he wasn't a professional musician, but he grew up with a classical education where music played a, a huge role. He was able to sing well. We know that he played musical instruments, and he was a cap- obviously a capable composer. So along with the creation of the German Mass, this order of worship, which brought the gospel to light through the German language and the introduction of now congregational song, Luther at the same time understood the need for the development of more chorales, that is, more hymns, 
for the same evangelical need of getting the gospel into the people's ears and hearts. So here again, as we begin the conversation leading to hymns, we see how Martin Luther was a missionary and an evangelist using and seeing music as a wonderful vehicle for the word. So his life's work over time came to be very simple, restore the gospel, make the gospel known to people. And in this case, music was a great or maybe even the greatest vehicle for teaching the faith. And this is where we bump into all of these wonderful, we say, Luther quotes. Martin Luther has all of these quotable quotes, but so many that are connected actually to music. And one that's most familiar to people is Martin Luther's quote, where he says, next to theology, I give music the highest of praise. Well, music for Luther is going to be one of the greatest vehicles, means through which or by which the gospel can be made known to people. And then so when you think of restoring or creating or establishing congregational singing in the worship service, then it makes a lot of sense that more hymns, which are song confessions of faith, typically sung by a group, that more of these hymns would be written. So Luther sets about himself, along with the encouragement to others, of writing more hymns. And we actually have quotes and we we can read Luther on the great need for the writing of more hymns for the people. So if you think of Luther's hymns, obviously he wrote hymns to get the gospel into the people's hearts. I think this section of thought is very important as you think more about the kinds of hymns that he wrote. He wrote liturgical hymns. He wrote seasonal hymns. He wrote catechetical hymns. He wrote hymns that were psalm paraphrases, like a mighty fortress is a psalm paraphrase. And he wrote some ballads as well, hymns that kind of tell stories. I want to mention here, if I could, just just a few of these because they are so important. For example, his liturgical hymns. As we mentioned before, Luther wrote the German Mass. He, He restored this worship service to the people with the intention that they would be participating and that they would understand what was going on. Well, actually, interestingly, this service continues to this day. If you have a Lutheran service book as Divine Service 5 in our hymnals, and you'll notice that Divine Service 5 is quite a bit different, at least looking on the page, than the other services, because much of the service is hymn-based. So lots, when you get to a different ordinary, we'll say, of the liturgy, you just come upon a different hymn. So Luther wrote many hymns that would be taking the place of an ordinary. So like the Gloria in Excelsis is an ordinary. It's always occurring in the liturgy. So Luther wrote a hymn, All Glory Be to God on High. Another example of an ordinary would be the Sanctus. Well, Luther wrote a hymn, a a Sanctus hymn, Isaiah Mighty Seer, and so on through the course of the liturgy. So obviously you see Luther's heart in relation to taking the text of that worship service, the ordinaries, and setting them in a way 
kind of almost like pre-packaging these in a unique way that he knew would be most edifying to the people, for example, for retention and for their memory. So again, back to the Psalms so that they could go to church, sing a hymn, and take that with them. Well, Luther's seasonal hymns. These seasonal hymns really, I think, tell a story about Luther. So these are Luther's writing of hymns for the seasons of the church year. Through these hymns, he was intent on explaining God's word. Now, (laughs) here you might make a funny point. Sometimes people complain about Luther's hymns. Oh, they're hard to sing, or they're big words, or something like that. Well, well, that might all be intentional, because he's trying to teach the faith through the hymns. And sometimes in, in teaching the faith, you have to use certain words. Well, words for Luther are very important. And when you walk through the hymns of the season, the seasons of the church here that Luther wrote, I mean, it's, it's about like just opening the Bible and reading the Bible. What is also important to note in relation to Luther's hymns for the seasons of the church year is that he is utilizing the historic church year. He's not coming to, to and through the Reformation and saying, down with everything that is present, down with the liturgy, down with the church year, let's just do something different and do something new. This is a wonderful example of something that Luther wanted and believed should be retained, that is the church year, and restored and actually like used more for the people or help lead the people into so they actually know what's going on. And if they would know what was going on around them, they would love this. Because here we have in very musical ways, actually, in very enjoyable or pleasing ways, basically God's word systematically divided up so that we could hear it and learn it and rejoice in it. So at all these different seasons or points of the year, Luther and the people are able to rejoice in what God has done through them in his birth, life, death, and resurrection. And they're rejoicing in all of those things through these wonderful hymns. Catechetical hymns are obviously similar to the seasonal hymns as they especially are intent on bringing the text of scripture to light in a musical way for the people. And so these are wonderful hymns that we can find today, even, that are intent on teaching the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So again, just like his catechism teaches the basics of the faith, and we use Luther's catechism to this day, the catechetical hymns are simply a musical treatment of what would come to be known as Luther's small catechism. And here we'll just end with this thought, Todd, that it's interesting then to think about this literally in Luther's catechism in this prayer section. He encourages those as they finish their morning prayers to move into their workday doing what? Well, singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments, which, of course, Luther wrote. What can we learn from Luther regarding evangelism? So Luther is known for many things, without a doubt. 
I want to share today, I think it's important that one of those things should be that Luther was an evangelist. When you study Luther and you think through all these things we're talking about, you can see an extremely evangelistic side to Luther's work, especially here in the area of music. He rarely, if ever, made a change or suggested a reform in his day if it were not for the sake of the gospel. So whenever Luther is working with music, he might be thinking, or you can imagine him thinking, how can I share God's word through this vehicle? So for Luther, music is not pretty notes, or it's not an emotional, overly emotional thing. Luther is seeing music as a vehicle for gospel expression and presentation, especially even to people who may have never heard the gospel presented before. So you might think also of his early years as he personally and earnestly sought the gospel for himself. He became passionate about exposing the gospel to and for others. So we know of Luther as a prolific writer and speaker and preacher and debater, but he was also an extraordinary evangelist and using music. His music, you might say, may may have gone, as we think of likewise through J.S. Bach, music may have taken his reforms and his preaching and teaching farther than uh, that preaching and teaching might have taken it apart from music. As an evangelist, he inspired others. You know, we study Luther and we recognize he didn't mince words when it came time to speak. He was undaunted in what he considered his calling and his vocation. It's interesting when we think of him in this sense to study what historians have said about him or the Reformation. For example, Philip Schaff remarked that next to the introduction of Christianity, the Reformation was the greatest event in history. Now, of course, he's talking about the Reformation in general, but I don't know how to talk about the Reformation without talking about Martin Luther. And as we consider today our subject of music and missions, it was kind of a curious thought. I'm not sure how we would think about the Reformation or about Luther if Luther did not engage in his Reformation and through engagement in music. It might be a very different thing. So Luther was passionate about the Word of Christ, and he recognized that music was the greatest vehicle to extend that Word. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. We're discussing missions through music with Pastor Nathan Sherrill. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and executive director of David's Harp. He's also a 2005 graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Find out about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. When we come back, how can music be used for evangelism today?
this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. As we move on into St. Luke's Gospel, we come to the Annunciation, the Visitation, Magnificat, Nativity of St. John the Baptist, and Benedictus Part 1. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Have you thought about eternal life? When does it begin? What is eternal life? Well, your eternal life does not begin when your body, earthly body, fails and is laid into the grave. It begins, in fact, in the waters of holy baptism where you were tied to the death of Christ and in him you were raised. To learn more about this topic of eternal life, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Imagine this. What if you planned your vacation? You picked the location based upon where you knew there was a good Lutheran church. Well, we're here to let you know that if you're planning a Southern Oregon vacation, whether you visit Crater Lake, raft the Rogue, fish for salmon, or head down to the Redwoods, there's still a place for you to receive forgiveness. Faith Lutheran Church in Rogue River, Oregon. What's a vacation without the gospel? Faith Lutheran Church, Sundays at 10 a.m. Visit faithrogueriver.org. When pastors talk about us, they say ad crucem. When laity mention us, they say ad crucem. When telemarketers call us, they say ADC Rucam. But a Luther Rose by any name will smell as sweet. Ad Crucem is the place to go for greeting cards and artwork, jewellery and ornaments, housewares, church certificates, church banners and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about missions through music. Pastor Nathan Sherrill is our guest. Pastor Sherrill, how can music be used in evangelism today? So the evangelism is all about the gospel. And as we've been talking, Luther, of course, he himself was passionate and he was all about the gospel. I think Luther's work with music can actually inform our evangelistic work today, and and it, it should. Luther was engaged in evangelism when we think of his time in spite of the example of the church around him. So Luther didn't necessarily have a lot of encouragement to do what he was doing. 
There was no like conference where Luther went and learned about evangelism and then turned around and decided to translate the scriptures into German or something. These were things that he was compelled to do because of his faith in Jesus. He was individually, I would say, individually, or maybe in a small group sense, encouraged to be about these reforms and the evangelism that came from him. But again, primarily of his own belief and love for the gospel is what created this zeal by the Holy Spirit in him. So when we consider evangelism today, I think it's a wonderful thing to think of simply what we are all called to do and to be as Christians. I think Luther understood, this would be a conversation on the study of Luther on vocation. He kind of restored this idea that everyone has a holy calling unto the Lord, and we can be engaged in sharing the word of Christ and being an example, a Christian example in whatever we do. Now, when you add music to that, I think what is interesting is that Luther kind of uncovered the idea that all kinds of people can be personally engaged in gospel proclamation through their various callings in life. And we don't necessarily have to call them a missionary or an evangelist or something like that. We can just call them, well, Christian, like this is what Christians do. And I think for Luther, the more he learned about the gospel, the more he learned about Jesus, the more he learned about forgiveness and life and salvation in Christ, the more he learned that, you mean we have a direction opposite hell and, and that comes by the saving work of Christ? Who wouldn't want to rejoice and sing this message? So I think Luther helps us understand personal evangelism and opens evangelism, uh, the conversation of evangelism by vocation. Again, Luther had authentic desire. He felt personal responsibility. He believed God's word was true. He was a natural leader. That's very important, I think. And he was thoughtful and creative. And it, I guess here, maybe uh, I'd like to emphasize his creativity. And I think that's where the conversation for us today can uh, spend some time in relation to missions and music. For us today, rather than thinking of music as like a bouquet of flowers, something that makes something pretty, or thinking of music as entertainment, you know, a lot of times we might go to a concert or something and think, well, that was a fun evening. We went out to eat and then went to a musical concert. And then I actually went went on with the rest of my life. I think Luther connected in an intimate way music to the word so that when you might reflect on the word, it would be done so in many ways by musical expression. So Luther helped us understand that, you know, even like we, we define hymns as sung confessions of faith, Luther helped us understand the significance of pairing 
music, and the word of God. He almost showed us a pathway by his reforms, by the thoughtful and creative application of music to the word of God throughout our, say, weekly living. So on Sundays, we engage in music and the word of God. Weekdays, we carry the word of God with us through music, according to our vocations, in our work, in our recreation and whatever. And then we return the next Sunday to the worship service where we again, not only encounter the word, but we encounter that music. Uh, And you can look at music from a purely scientific perspective, and you can have all of these conversations about the significance of music in memory and retention and for the brain. And you even have like these videos and classical music created. Baby Einstein, you might have heard before, where people, even secular people, are talking about you know, how important it is for a young children, even infants, even children within the womb. I don't know if they'd say it that way, but <laughs> children pre-born to be hearing certain things musically and that benefiting them some way uh, according to their mind and brain function and so on. Well, Luther is way ahead of the times. I mean, he is all over all of this already. And I think for us, from an evangelism perspective, this informs me as a parish pastor. We have established a music conservatory here. We have an early childhood center here, and we have music lessons for our infants in our early childhood center. So two-month, three-month-olds go to chapel, and they have music, and we are intentionally and strategically sharing words and even movement and rhythm and so on to the to the least of these the youngest of these the pairing of music and god's word at such an early age so i think luther is is helping us find a a basis from which we can engage in evangelism the word of god and in this case the application of music in all kinds of creative contexts in our day With about a minute here, what can you tell us about David's harp? Well, I can't say anything about David's harp in a minute, Todd, but uh, maybe what I have shared, I've already shared a lot about David's harp simply by sharing with you this, this history. David's harp is an RSO of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're focused on music and missions, really drawing from our understanding of the sacred scriptures and Lutheran history. Our goal is to develop resources, musical resources, and establish centers of music education in churches, schools, and missions of our church body, and really, in a nutshell, return to the understanding that I would say Luther had in the Reformation of the restoration of the gospel to all people in every way that you can possibly think of, in our case, specifically and intentionally through God's gift of music. You'll find a link to David's Harp at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Pastor Nathan Sherrill is pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and executive director of David's Harp. 
Nathan, thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Todd. We'll be talking with Dr. Michael New, Associate Scholar for the Charlotte Lozier Institute, about a new report on abortion post-Roe next. The church's music from the second century. Shepherd of tender youth, guiding in love and truth. The sixth century. The twelfth century. The 16th century. The 21st century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at melhs.org, jkrause at melhs.org. 